the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. This program was originally broadcast live on 93.9 KPDQ. We hope you enjoy the show. Well, good afternoon and welcome to the Wednesday edition of the Georgine Rice Show. Today on the program, we're going to talk with Andrew Palau with the Palau Association, but he's also the co-host of the National Day of Prayer event that's coming up tomorrow evening, and he's part of the board for the National Day of Prayer. We're going to talk about tomorrow's events, Love, Life, and Liberty, that's the theme, and uh, the national broadcast for the 70th annual National Day of Prayer is coming up tomorrow, the first Thursday in May. So we'll talk with Andrew Palau about all of that. We're also going to talk with author Kate Warman. Her book is Thank You for Rejecting Me, Transform Pain, Purpose, and Learn to Fight for Yourself. And that may be somewhat of a puzzling title. You'll want to stick around for that conversation with Kate Warman later in this first hour. Well, taking a look at the headline news, Oregon is lifting the indoor dining restrictions because hospitalized COVID-19 patients increased by 14.9% rather than 15%. Well, to the relief of cash-strapped restaurants and residents desperate for a return to normalcy right before Mother's Day as well. Despite a fourth wave of COVID-19 cases, Governor Brown today, or rather yesterday, finally announced that by the end of the week, she'll lift a set of extreme risk restrictions that have stifled businesses in 15 counties all across the state of Oregon. What's more, the governor said she doesn't expect to restore those restrictions again during the pandemic. Well, the extreme risk restrictions have been in place in the 15 counties only since last Friday, but the governor said Tuesday they're going to be removed this Friday because one of the preset metrics had not been met. Well, the seven-day average of hospitalized COVID-19 patients statewide grew by only 14.9 percent, not necessary, uh, not the necessary 15 percent. The state won't implement extreme risk conditions on new counties because of this missed metric either. If the number of hospitalized patients had increased by just two more people over the past week, the 15 percent requirement would have been met and all 15 counties, plus at least two new ones, would have fallen under extended extreme risk public safety measures by the end of the week. Um, the governor said, based on today's numbers, I am keeping my commitment to Oregonians. I know this will bring relief to many across the state. Well, Governor Brown and public health officials linked the strictest business restrictions to three metrics, high coronavirus case rates at the county level, statewide COVID-19 hospitalizations above 300, and COVID-19 hospitalizations increasing weekly by at least 15 percent. Well, until yesterday, it appeared restrictions would remain in counties identified last week, as well as a few others based on their increased local case rates. Oregon's fourth surge in coronavirus cases began in March, uh, like much of the rest of the nation, but Oregon is among a minority of states, bucking a national trend of declining coronavirus cases in the past few weeks. So again, starting Friday, indoor dining and sporting events with fans can resume at limited capacity. Now, did you catch that? Sporting events. On Tuesday, the governor announced all counties in the extreme risk category would once again return to high risk. 
And that not only impacted restaurants, but sporting events as well. That means the Portland Trailblazers have been approved for 10% fan capacity at the Moda Center, just in time for Friday's big game against the Los Angeles Lakers. The team said it will put health and safety first as it welcomes fans back to the arena. The news was first reported last night by Oregonian sports columnist John Canzano. The Trailblazers confirmed the report this morning. We are thrilled to wake, welcome limited fans to Moda Center, uh, particularly since the Blazers were the only professional team without fans. And uh, they went on to say, bring back the best home court advantage in the league. That's a quote from Trailblazers president and CEO Chris McGowan. Uh, we are putting health and safety at the forefront of every game and have many new arena improvements and changes to the guest experience that will create a seamless and contactless experience. Well, the Blazers said ticket pre-sales for the four remaining home games this season will start Thursday morning. Emails with ticket purchasing information will be sent to current season ticket holders and other priority clients. If any tickets are left over after the pre-sale they'll be made available to the public through trailblazers.com now with 10 percent capacity the blazers will be able to have about 1900 fans in the stands for the final four regular season home games friday against the los angeles lakers saturday against the san antonio spurs monday against the houston rockets and may 16th against the denver nuggets canzano reported that a source told him the capacity could increase as much as 20% for home playoff games. The Trailblazers said the following health and safety protocols have been implemented for the Moda Center. All fans will be required to wear a mask while in the arena unless actively eating or drinking. Tickets will be sold in pods, allowing for guests within the same household to sit together and remain physically distanced from uh, other ticketed guests. Pods will be spaced at least six feet apart and limited at uh, uh, one to six people per pod. All Moda Center tickets will be uh, uh, will be mobile to ensure a contactless entry into the arena. All fans will be required to complete a mandatory health screening via the Trailblazers uh, mobile app. Uh, app rather, fans will have a designated arena entry location based on seating location. Install new MERV 14 hospital grade filters, portable HEPA units to enhance air cleaning, and increase outside air ventilation as much as possible. The Rose Quarter will now be a cash-free campus, creating frictionless and contactless customer experience. The Rose Quarter has implemented a no-bag policy to create a frictionless and contactless uh, customer experience, with exceptions for medical needs, children's bags, and women's clutches. Food and beverage will be extremely limited, and all food will be packaged for safety. And the Rose Quarter has earned the Well Health Safety Rating through the International Well Building Institute. The Well Health Safety Rating is an evidence-based, third-party verified rating for all new and existing building and space types uh, focused on operational policies. So if you are a, uh, a fan of the Trailblazers, chances are you may have an opportunity to see them play at the Moda Center, uh, given these new rules and the, the possible expansion to 20% during the playoffs. Well, Oregon is indefinitely extending a workplace rule adopted last fall that requires employers to adhere to specific safety measures to reduce the spread of COVID-19. Well, under the rule, employers must ensure that their employees wear masks and maintain physical distance in the workplace, among other requirements. The Oregon Occupational Safety and Health Administration said the rule will remain in effect until it's no longer needed to address the potential spread of COVID-19 
in the workplace. The rule adopted in November had been slated to expire on Tuesday. Michael Wood, administrator for Oregon OSHA, said the agency decided to extend the rule after a two-month public comment period, but made several changes based on input from those who opposed the extension. The Associated Press reported that the agency received a record number of public comments related to the possible extension of the rule and that nearly 60,000 people signed a petition opposing that extension. We are keeping in place key protections for workers as part of Oregon's larger and ongoing project to defeat COVID-19, Wood said. To allow the workplace COVID-19 protections to simply go away would have left workers far less protected and it would have left employers who want to know what is expected of them with a good deal less clarity than the rule provides. While employers under the extended rule must provide workers with information and training regarding COVID-19 and must conduct a COVID-19 exposure risk assessment under the rule. They're also required to optimize their existing ventilation system, but the updated rule does not require them to purchase new ventilation systems. The updated rule also includes less stringent sanitation requirements. Industry-specific requirements and equipment uh, related to schools have been reduced as well. Oregon OSHA said that it's going to meet with other agencies and groups to review the rule again in July. At that point, it will look at infection rates, hospitalizations, fatalities, and other factors to determine whether the rule can be repealed. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Up next, we're going to talk with Andrew Palau. He's serving on the National Day of Prayer uh, team. He's also going to be co-hosting the national event, the broadcast, 6 o'clock p.m., uh, by the way, Pacific Time. And you can see that uh, streaming online live. Uh, Anyway, the National Day of Prayer, the theme this year, Love, Life, and Liberty. He's going to be a co-host of the national event, and he'll talk with us about the value and necessity of prayer. And I would add to that the privilege of being invited uh, to the throne of grace. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We'll be back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. Is aired on 93.9 KPDQ. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. As many of you know, the first Thursday in May is the National Day of Prayer. And this year marks the 70th year since Reverend Billy Graham stood on the Capitol steps in February of 1952. And he called for Congress and the president to establish a day of prayer. Well, by April of that same year, President Truman, he signed the legislation into public law. And through the decades, the National Day of Prayer Task Force had mobilized Americans to observe the National Day of Prayer in all 50 states and in U.S. territories to praise God and to intercede for our nation. There are local events all across the Fruited Plain, and there's also a national expression uh, in the national broadcast. We're going to talk about that in just a few moments with Andrew Palau, who this year is one of the co-hosts of that event. And for more than 24 years, Andrew has played a key role in the ministry of the Luis Palau Association. He's been instrumental in building the model for citywide outreach as an evangelist, director, key team player. He's guided campaigns, led church relations efforts. He's trained thousands of believers in friendship evangelism and proclaimed the good news of Jesus Christ in person to hundreds of thousands of individuals around the world through evangelistic campaigns. We know him as Andrew Palau, our neighbor, and I'm just delighted to have him with us today to talk about this national call to prayer. Andrew, thank you so much for taking the time to join us. Oh, man, it's a privilege, and we're in it together. Thanks, Georgine. Yeah, absolutely. You know, prayer is a thing that we all acknowledge is necessary for us to have a Mm -hmm. vibrant uh, walk with the Lord uh, to help Mm -hmm. us in being guided by him and also to uh, to influence 
national and local events. Mm -hmm. And yet many Mm -hmm. of us would admit our prayer life is stale. We're not fully convinced um, Mm. that prayer is making a difference. Can you begin by just talking about the importance of prayer, first of all, because we're called to do it, and then secondly, the joy of being engaged in that uh, great invitation? Yeah, isn't it true, Georgine? We all feel that. We we recognize the importance. We see the example of Jesus, and then we live our lives, and we feel, oh my goodness, am I anywhere near understanding the impacts and the power and the, the, the fruits of prayer, and, uh, and when will I ever get my act together and, and do what is on my heart to do related mm-hmm. to it? But I mean, how, basically, you just see that that prayer is that foundational key to a relationship with the living God. You would cry out to him initially and say, help me, forgive me. And that prayer of of uh, repentance is what starts our relationship, and but it's then meant to carry on, of course, just in the day-to-day. Pray without ceasing, he says. So yes. um, we're all working towards that. And, and uh, Matthew 16, 18, and, and on from there really talks a lot about, uh, you know, um, that we come in agreement with heaven and that the keys to the kingdom of heaven we bind and loose on heaven and on earth through, uh, through prayer. And, and, and it's just uh, remarkable that we don't, I, I'm just talking to myself a little bit, Georgine, but I'm sure a lot of us can relate to, uh, do we really take it seriously enough? So I was very thrilled to be challenged about it, to be invited to uh, be the co-chair with uh, the president, uh, Kathy Branzell, on the program tonight, uh, tomorrow night on Thursday. And uh, it's really caused me to, I didn't feel worthy to take the position, but I thought, well, we all probably feel a little bit like that. And mm-hmm. I'm using it to challenge myself to say, you know, get more focused, be more dedicated. Uh, and um, the Word of God directs us in it uh, from start to finish. Now, the National Day of Prayer calls us to focus our attention on what's happening mm-hmm. in the nation. Some of us yes. are already praying. Some of us are mm-hmm. so frustrated that we can't imagine anything can happen uh, to change the course of the nation. Mm-hmm. But we are mm-hmm. called in Scripture to pray for those who are in authority. How do we pray yeah effectively and fervently for mm-hmm. those who are in positions of authority, particularly if we, uh, if we struggle with those in leadership, how do we pray effectively wow. and honor God in that process? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I suppose it just starts by, you know, you, uh, we're, we're approved because of the cross of Christ to enter in before the Lord in his throne room, even, which is such a humbling thought and consideration yes. So I think to humble yourself before the living God and come before him, that changes a lot of your attitudes that might cause you to want to be um, even appropriately, you know, uh, uh, challenged by another person in authority. You wonder, how do I pray for this person? Well, just come before the living God and I think you'll find a way, you know, you, when all is there in the light of uh, the, the almighty God and the work of Christ, you know, it kind of humbles you and puts you in a right position to say, look, I, I have these disagreements. I, I'm not sure, or I feel sure that I'm in a disagreement, but still, Lord, you know, you came to seek and to save that which was lost. And if you even feel like that's their, someone's position, pray for that for them. You know, Lord, be merciful as you were merciful to me. Uh, re- open blinded eyes, reveal yourself and bless, and just pray blessing. He says, bless and do not curse, the word of God says, right? So you can pray Lord, surround these people with faithful witnesses. Uh, bring your people to bear, um, you know, uh, open blinded eyes and uh, br- br- protect their family and reveal yourself. There's so many ways in which we can yes. pray for our leaders. It's, uh, it's, it's, it should be easy when you think of it in those terms. 
You know, I think, too, the posture of prayer, and I'm not just talking about the physical mm-hmm. posture mm-hmm. of prayer, reminds us that of our own unworthiness, that before wow. God, you know, we are all mm-hmm. on a level playing field because none yeah, of us is worthy. Yeah. And I find that yeah. when I invest in praying for those uh, with whom I may have a disagreement or uh, mm-hmm. whose decisions I'm, you know, I'm concerned about, that God humbles me and reminds me of my mm-hmm. own unworthiness and that um, yeah. that we need to pray for one another as desperately in need of a Savior to guide us and lead us. Yeah. And be reminded that Scripture says God can change the heart of a king like he could change the, the course of the river. So it's healthy right, for us, right. I think, to be put in our rightful place before God um, yeah. as we're praying for uh, those around mm-hmm. us. Now, can you tell us a bit about the that's national good. the national broadcast that's coming up tomorrow evening, 6 o'clock p.m. Pacific time? That's going to be live streamed. Yes, and you can find it at the National Day of Prayer. Just Google it. You'll find it. Search around. I'm kind of a nerd, and I can't figure this stuff <laughs> out, but I eventually find it. It's not that hard, and uh, you can get help from a young person if you're not quite there, or go to palau.org. I'm sure we'll have a link but yes, you can tune in, and it's going to be a great time of uh, prayer, primarily worship. I'll share the gospel. They asked me to share the gospel and uh, give people an opportunity to respond. So pray for me in that. And people, hundreds of thousands tune in around the world, actually, even though the focus really is uh, for uh, the, the, our nation, is a heavy emphasis. Uh, and there are people in the nation, so we bring the gospel. But uh, you'll, you know, hear uh, and join in with prayers. Anne Graham Lotz, uh, worship by Shane and Shane, uh, Greg Laurie, Sam Brownback will be sharing. And there's going to be a lot of uh, different corporate prayer moments um, where we'll sort of uh, quietly, you can in, tune in and, and feel a part of it. Uh, we want to engage people. It's not just a show or a something to watch uh, mm-hmm. and listen, but also to really participate in. And Jack Graham from Preston Wood, it's a very broad group uh, led by Kathy Branzell, who's done a great job in her newish role as president. And really, she's wanting and uh, the board to uh, really stay strong in the roots of the founding of the National Day of Prayer and, and really make it gospel-focused, centered on the Word of God, and, and really just emphasizing prayer. So if you've whether you feel that in your heart or not, I urge you to do it because uh, uh, the Lord has challenged and commanded us to do it, so we might as well do it. Plus, it's for our own good. Yeah, absolutely. And again, the National Day of Prayer is not a spectator event. It culminates in this national broadcast, but it really focuses on local events where believers from mm-hmm. all across your community, your neighborhood, the state of Oregon, and all across the country are coming together as we can under this pandemic to yeah. literally focus our attention and prayer on the needs of our nation. And certainly there's no lack in terms of things to, to pray about, and God will guide us through that process. Mm-hmm. You can also find local events at, uh, at the Palau um, Association. We'll have a link, but the nationaldayofprayer.org, you mm-hmm. can find information about local events. We're going to be talking about that uh, today and, and tomorrow uh, as well. So uh, stay tuned for more information about that. Awesome. But what a tremendous opportunity that we are endorsed by our nation's leaders to come together to pray for the nation. It's an acknowledgement that, you know, we don't have all the answers. We need help. and <laughs> We cry out to God. Yeah was so gracious yeah. to 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 hear us and to respond. Um, any yeah. final thoughts, Andrew? Well, I would just share with you, just to maybe uh, prime the pump, that the uh, verse of this year is focusing in on 2 Corinthians 3.17, for the Lord is spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. 
So the theme is a prayer that we'll lift up together. Lord, pour out your love, life, and liberty. Um, and, uh, and so that might get you uh, fired up as you uh, engage with that focus on the nation, celebrating and joining together in unity around this uh, National Day of Prayer. Absolutely. You know, most of us, maybe you, Andrew, but most of us will never be invited to the White Mm. House to sit down and meet with the president. But we have been invited by God himself to enter into his uh, his throne room and to lift Mm. up our our, uh, petitions to him. And he promises to hear us and to respond. So Mm -hmm. don't Mm -hmm. miss this opportunity um, to come before God and lift up our nation. And I believe his heart is toward um, moving on the hearts of those uh, who cry out to him. So I'm so yeah. grateful for the role that you're playing and the opportunity that each of us has uh, on yeah. this National Day of Prayer. Thank you so much, Andrew. I yeah. really, really appreciate it. You're welcome. And uh, you're in our prayers, Georgine. We sure love and appreciate you guys. And um, we'll we'll be home soon. I haven't been traveling much, so it feels weird, but I'll be back. <laughs> well, looking forward to Can't having wait. you home. <laughs> okay. Yeah, thanks, Georgine. Love you guys. You too. Bye-bye. Again, Andrew Palau uh, talking about the 2021 National Day of Prayer, the 70th annual event. And again, you can watch the national broadcast at 6 p.m. Pacific time. You can find out more at nationaldayofprayer.org. And as Andrew said, there's probably a link at the uh, Palau Association's webpage as well. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We'll be back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show Podcast. Is aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Well, good afternoon and welcome back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. My next guest writes in her introduction about a relationship she has had. She writes, I have a, a confession to make um, of my life. I've been in a, rela- a complicated relationship. She's referring to rejection and her book, Thank You for Rejecting Me, Transform Pain into Purpose and Learn to Fight for Yourself is a book that speaks to all of us who at one time or another have been marked by re- rejection. Well, the sting of rejection is one of those bitter parts of life that we can't fully escape. Whether it happened in grade school or last week, it can leave deep scars that affect our relationships, our self-worth and our identities for years to come. But instead of letting it weigh us down, what we uh, used, it can be used rather as a catapult uh, to profound healing, growth, and a deeper sense of love of self. Now, that may seem impossible because you haven't yet read the book. We're going to talk with Kate um, Warman, who is an um, inspirational speaker, a popular relationship coach, and the host of the Heart of Dating podcast. She helps thousands of men and women on their journey um, on her podcast, social media platform, one-on-one relationship coaching, and online courses. And we're delighted to have you with us today to talk about Thank You for Rejecting Me. Now, I have to admit, when I first saw the title of the book, I was intrigued. Who on earth would make that kind of a statement? I now understand why you make it and the value of gleaning from that experience what has made you to be the woman that you are today. Welcome. Oh, thanks, Regine. I'm so excited to be here and and totally agree. Usually it's not the first thing you say in the wake of rejection, but you'll see through the book that I bring a positive spin to rejection, but without discounting the weight and the pain Mm -hmm. that rejection can also feel in those moments. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I appreciate that. You don't um, suggest that rejection is less than it is and that its impact is less than it is. But in in um, acknowledging what it is and the impact, uh, the devastating impact it can have, you also point out that it can be a tool that can help develop in other areas. Uh, tell us about the book and how you've been able to form this stance toward rejection, because most of us don't want to admit that, first of all, we've been rejected and secondly, that it's had much of an impact. 
Yeah. So, you know, throughout my history and my story, so much of it has to do with various different forms of rejection and being a dating coach, obviously um, a very, you know, explicit kind of rejection in the dating world would be heartbreak. But Mm -hmm. honestly, rejection comes in more forms than just heartbreak. And when I actually analyze my own personal history, I realized that so many of the rejections from my past that even started in childhood that formed lies and beliefs that then got reinforced through middle school, high school, college, through getting jobs, through so many different elements and different rejections I experienced along the way, I realized, wow, a lot of these rejections of the past impacted how I was showing up today in my life. And without properly dealing with them, without properly healing from them and transforming them and kind of just recognizing them and seeing how they were impacting my life today, I would never be able to really walk into the fullness of my identity to really um, become the woman that I feel like God has made me to be. And then simultaneously, not only did I recognize that so many rejections in my past continue to affect me today, but there are also so many different self-rejections, which I'm sure we'll get into, which also impacted the way I saw myself. And sometimes those self-rejections can be some of the worst of all because there are things that we have absolute control of. There's things there. Those are the things that we tell ourselves, the things we believe about ourselves. Um, and we have other ones in control of them, but oftentimes we don't have the tools or we don't feel brave enough to kind mm-hmm. of dive into the waters of the ways in which we're self-rejecting in order to heal. Uh, yeah. So that my own personal story coupled with hundreds and thousands of stories that I have heard of different people I've coached and people in my community, I realized, wow, I don't want to just help people get dates, even though I love doing that as a dating coach. It's really so much more than that. We have to look back and deal with our relationship with rejection in order to show up healthy and free and vibrant and confident in our lives today. Yeah, you write about body insecurity, self-hatred, loneliness, bullying, fitting in, abuse, sexual shame, shame rather, betrayal, feeling like a failure, abandonment, heartbreak, not knowing where God is in it all. Uh, These are things that we've all experienced, and oftentimes I think we don't feel worthy to address them head on with the expectation that we can uh, be shaped by um, facing them and then moving forward uh, in ways that are productive. You write about the book. I want you to be equipped to move forward with freedom, fierceness, and tender, strong love. That's quite a an expectation. Walk us through the ways that you've uh, you've been uh, rejected or rejected yourself, and how you've reckoned with that. Yeah. So the reality is, going back to kind of go through these layers of shame and fears and lies that you believe about yourself or lies that other people have spoken over you it can be really daunting. And it's not a task that you wake up one morning, you're like, yeah, let me go through all these layers. It's a hard and noble journey. And it requires a lot of bravery, a lot of courage to go through those stinky layers that oftentimes we'd rather just not go through. We'd rather not think about how we were potentially traumatized in our childhood. We'd rather not think of that memory in high school. And in fact, a lot of times what we do is instead of wanting to go through the things we say to ourselves today, well, we should be over that by now. You know, that was so Mm -hmm. long ago, we should be over that. But all we're doing in saying those things to ourselves today is we're increasing the shame upon ourselves. Like we should be over it today implies that, you know, we did something wrong and that we're weak or that we're something less than because we haven't fully dealt with it yet. But the reality is for myself, who's worked through this and through basically every person I've met, there's no shame in having to admit, hey, 
there are things that have happened to me that I need to revisit. There are ways in which I, I cannot live this way anymore. And I have to go back and heal from these elements in order to be able to move forward. And so for me, I hit a breaking point about eight years ago. I had just come out of a really toxic and abusive relationship. And in that relationship, which was a two and a half year cycle of just gaslighting and abuse in every form that somebody can be abusive, I really lost myself entirely. And at the end of that two and a half years, I would say, I would venture to say that I really hated myself. And I felt like I couldn't talk to anybody about it. I blamed myself entirely for that relationship. I was like, how could I fall into something like this? Like, what's wrong with me? How, why would you do that? And coupled with, you actually deserve those, that treatment, Kate, all of those kinds of thoughts. And at the end of that relationship, I kind of had to take a long, hard look in the mirror and reflect on what happened in my life to get me to this moment? Um, were there patterns that led me to this, mo- to this place that I am today, mm-hmm. knowing that I could not go forward with those beliefs about myself because I could barely function. I was crippling. I was de- decomposing behind the scenes, like honestly. And um, so I had to go on a long journey of facing my history and facing the things that happened in my childhood and high school with different men that I had dated the belief systems I had learned to believe about my body, about my attraction, about the way I showed up, my personality, um, all the things that I was telling myself, I had to really look at those things and start healing. And so I went on a journey of going to a therapist and man, I needed that therapist so much. I, I talked to that therapist every single week and I got new community. I developed community that felt safe, people who knew me, saw me, understood my story. I start, I changed churches at the time to really just refresh in my community since I had my abusive person, the person I was dating had gone to my previous church. Um, I cut out guys from my life because I learned that that was an Achilles heel of mine that I had dated basically nonstop for 10 years. And it had led me to question who is Kate outside of dating? Like I didn't even know Mm -hmm. what it was like to be single at that time in my early twenties. And so I had to go on this really treacherous journey. It was hard, but so worth it. Um, And it would, I would say, and for anybody listening, it took multiple years and it's not even a journey that's over, you know? And so that uh, turning point in my life, that what I like to call heck no moment was one moment that catapulted me into realizing that I had more power than I ever thought that I did over my life and over my own healing process and that nobody else could force me to get better. Nobody else could help me to love myself so that I don't lose myself in the wake of rejections again. But I was the one that was going to have to do the work and put in the effort. And no matter how many jobs I got or how much I succeeded or how many guys said yes to go out with me, none of that would actually fulfill me if I didn't actually work on the root of all these belief systems and all the past traumas that had affected how I was showing up. So um, that's it, Georgine. I mean, there is not that's it, but that was that's a turning point moment that led me onto this journey yeah. Um, yeah. and really face a lot of those past rejections. We're talking with Kate Warman. She's the author of Thank You for Rejecting Me, Transform Pain into Purpose, and Learn to Fight for Yourself. The book is published by Baker. We need to take a quick break, but we'll return in a moment to continue our conversation. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. 
We're back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show, and I'm continuing my conversation with Kate Warman. She's the author of Thank You for Rejecting Me, Transform Pain into Purpose, and Learn to Fight for Yourself. Now, what role, um, Kate, would you say today's culture, today's superficial culture, plays in the rejection experienced by so many women in particular? Yes, my gosh, Georgine, what a question. Well, in the age that we're in today, which is such a technological age, we have so many influences, not only from TV and the media, but then add in social media. And what I see is one of the biggest elements that cripples us today, especially as women, would be comparison. Mm -hmm. Consistently on social media and different media outlets, what you should look like. And this is the ideal of, you know, the perfect body type, or this is what guys are interested in. And this is what you should look like here. or Maybe this is what you should look like there. It's always changing. There's a lot of different messaging. But the problem is as well, is that when we go on something like social media, which I love, because that's where my whole career is built through technology and through social media and being able to connect with people. But simultaneously, even myself, knowing that I'm a person that's more of a public figure, I've learned that it's impossible for me to share everything, nor is it wise for me to really share everything with everyone on social media. So there may be times people may follow me and think, oh my gosh, she just looks like she's so happy all the time, or she looks like she's having a great time in her life. And man, like I'm over here with no friends or I'm over here and I just got broken up with. And man, it just looks like she has a smile on her face and she was broken up with, but she's still good and thriving. They don't always see. The reality is people don't always see because I need to protect my own personal life over the things and the conversations I'm actually dealing with sometimes behind the scenes. And so when we just take social media and things like that for face value, we don't consider the possibility that there's so many other things behind the scenes. We'll start comparing ourselves and our lives to other people. And what it does is it consistently leads to a scarcity mindset versus an abundance mindset. Mm. And the scarcity mindset basically says, you know, I'm never going to have what they have. Or, you know, there's there's just this much of one piece, one pie, and everyone else gets all the big slices, and all I'm stuck with is a tiny little sliver or just a handful of crumbs, and that's all I'm ever going to get in life. And what then happens is you start thinking that you start having like a suffering scarcity mindset that the world is out to get you, that you're never going to have anything wonderful, that you're not actually deserving of love or those things that you really desire. And then what actually happens is you start cultivating that mentality into Mm -hmm. your life. So you get online, you meet a guy and it doesn't go that great. Um, automatically it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. You're like, well, I knew that would happen. I'm not worthy of love anyway or I'm not interesting enough anyway, or I was never going to get what I thought I was going to get. So I guess this makes sense. And then you start giving up on online dating just because of that, because you already have that belief system. So when we compare, it leads to all these negative thoughts about ourselves and really contributes to a, a scarcity mindset, which is completely crippling and eliminates any beautiful potential for our lives. And so I see so many women specifically sitting so stuck in a scarcity mindset, crippled by comparison and really believing that their life is only ever going to lack. And they are missing out on so much of the beauty that already exists in their life, plus the beauty that God wants to bring to their life, that they could only cling to hope. And instead of focusing on all the things they lack, focus on the things they do have. And focus on moving forward to the next element in their life. The beautiful part about how uh, God works, too, is that 
no love story is the same. Um, and, you know, even you may see a perfect couple that gets married and watch their marriage video. You don't even know the things that went behind the scenes just to get to that wedding day, the stress, hmm. the potential conflict, the, the drama with the in-laws, like all you're watching is the beautiful wedding video. The point is that there's so much behind the scenes. There's an iceberg of information below the surface that we'll never know. But if the more we focus on the scarcity and we just focus on what everyone else has and we stop focusing on what we can cultivate right here in front of us, the more we'll actually miss out on opportunities in our lives. And so I see women uh, especially struggling with that. And I would, you know, say mainly it's because of our technology age today. Yeah. Now, the title of your book, as I've mentioned, is Thank You for Rejecting Me. How do you believe heartbreak has the capacity to transform our lives? And you've touched on this, but I wanted to ask you directly. Yes, I have been through countless heartbreaks as a dating coach. Really, the only way I could get here was having a lot of experience in dating. And with that, it's also meant a lot of heartbreak. I'm still unmarried. And so because of that, I've experienced a plethora of heartbreaks. Uh, and it used to devastate me in the past to the point of I, I felt like I couldn't move forward, where I ruminated for months on end about why that relationship ended, why I wasn't enough or why I was too much for that person. I blamed myself. I went into downward spirals of stalking my ex to no end, just hoping and praying maybe we could get back together one day. And those rejections, those heartbreaks crippled me. But eventually, my mentor said this, and it was just a transformative uh, moment in my life a few years ago. Um, And I write about this in chapter five of my book, Mm -hmm. The Ugly Cry, which is about heartbreak. And she said to me, Kate, do you want to believe that somebody is with you only because you are constantly waving your hands in front of their face, reminding them of how amazing you are? Or do you want to be with somebody whose heart is ignited to pursue you through the good, bad, and the ugly? And I was like, well, yeah, like, I don't want to feel like I'm constantly on performance to be someone's wife. I do want to be with someone who wants to be with me and their heart is ignited to pursue me through the good, bad, and the ugly. Yeah, that's what I wanted. And in that moment, I just made me realize how much I was holding on to past people or even that rejection at that time, which was a heartbreak that was devastating for me with a guy that I thought I was going to marry. I didn't want to be the girl anymore that just waved her hands in front of guys' faces, trying to get them to like me, trying to perform to get them to choose me. I realized, wait, something had to change for me to be able to walk in my worth. The beautiful part about that specific rejection I'm referring to a few years ago, chapter five of my book, was that rejection felt so devastating. I thought I was going to marry this guy. Yet it gave me the space in my life to start reflecting on how much emphasis I put on a man saying yes to me, on a man choosing me. And it allowed me a lot of space to process that, Georgine. And in that season of processing, healing, grieving, asking God a lot of hard questions, it was in that space that I started getting this prompting on my heart to talk about rejection and talk about dating in a new way. And it was in that season that I specifically, six months after that breakup, actually started my podcast, Heart of Dating. And I firmly believe today, if that breakup had not happened, 
I never would have started Heart of Dating. I never would have then become a dating coach. I never would have then written this book that I is so the passion and cry of my heart to get this message into the world. And so what is so beautiful and heartbreak is that those seasons of pain birth about opportunities that can cultivate beautiful new things in our life. And that new, those new things, it's a question mark. We don't know what that new thing will be. We don't know what kind of beautiful thing it'll be, but it will be a beautiful new thing. But you have to be the one to work to cultivate that healing process, to press into the pain, to press into the healing. But within every heartbreak, I believe it's an opportunity to get to know ourselves again, to re-experience God and his heart and his love for us, and to ultimately have space in our lives, lives to cultivate something new, cultivate a new passion, cultivate new friendships, something. But that's what I love about heartbreak. And then the last thing I'll say on heartbreak is a beautiful, beautiful element of heartbreak as well is that it's devastating. It hurts. But with, but being able to experience the depth of pain will also allow you to experience the height of great, beautiful joy. And what I mean by that is me being able to now experience so many different heartbreaks man, that pain still hurts. It's not that I'm robotic. It's not that the pain doesn't hit me. I feel it. I grieve it. And I don't always look forward to it. Absolutely not. But I I know that as I press through the pain, what it also gives me is so much more of a capacity to have such a joy for life in every small moment, to appreciate every blessing, to appreciate each day and even just the small moments. I, so I love that part of experiencing deep pain um, is that I know that through time, it does allow me to really, really appreciate all the small things that really turn into true, beautiful joy. Yeah, deepens your capacity. Once again, the book is titled, Thank You for Rejecting Me, Transform Pain into Purpose and Learn to Fight for Yourself. There's so much more in the book we don't have time to cover. So you need to pick the book up. It's published by Baker. Uh, Kate Warman, thank you so much for joining us today. I really appreciate it. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Welcome to the second hour of the Georgine Rice Show. Glad to have you with us. In this second hour, we're going to repeat a conversation I had with Andrew Palau on the National Day of Prayer. He is serving on the National Day of Prayer Committee. He's also co-hosting the national broadcast of the 70th Annual National Day of Prayer. That's coming up 6 o'clock p.m. on Thursday, the National Day of Prayer. And you can find that streaming online live. Uh, You can go to nationaldayofprayer.org for more details on that and events here locally and around the country. So we'll share that conversation uh, coming up later this hour. Well, Oregon State University became the first public college in the state of Oregon Tuesday to announce that it's going to require proof of COVID-19 vaccination for students, faculty, and all other employees Beginning in the fall term, well, three private colleges have issued similar requirements, and the rest of the state's public colleges are mulling whether to do the same. Well, as of yesterday, officials at the state's other two large public colleges, Portland State University and the University of Oregon, my alma mater, said no decisions have yet been made. Becky Johnson, who is the interim president at OSU, said proof of vaccination will contribute to the greatest level of population protection possible from the virus. Well, how exactly OSU intends to verify that more than 30,000 students plus employees actually did get the shot remains unclear. 
The university will continue to develop and fine-tune the process through the fall quarter. OSU is going to honor requests for exemption for the from the requirement on religious or other grounds, saying we plan to implement this policy in the fall with checkpoints for compliance throughout the term. That's Steve Clark, a spokesman for OSU. The result of any non-compliance by students or employees will be determined in the months ahead. Well, college administrators have hoped that the virus would uh, be a bad memory by September of 2021, but that doesn't seem to be the case. As the vaccine rollout drags on, the number of cases in Oregon has again surged. Well, Oregon State and most other colleges are planning to open their campuses uh, to largely normal on-campus in-person operations this fall, and that makes high rates of vaccination all the more crucial, according to OSU's Johnson. Now, officials at PSU and U of O said that their institutions encourage students to get vaccinated, but neither has decided yet to require it. The University of Portland and Lewis and Clark College in Portland, Willamette University in Salem were the first colleges in Oregon to announce a vaccination requirement. Last year was a difficult one for college administrators, professors, and students. Colleges had to devise virtual curriculums almost overnight as the virus forced the closure of campuses in March. It was also a bad year financially for many schools and students decided online college wasn't what they had in mind they stayed home they took gap years or found paying jobs how many of these virtual veterans will care to return to college for the dose of the real thing is a matter of considerable importance in college administration buildings all across the state of oregon and the country a significant number of americans are refusing to get vaccinated on safety grounds OSU students who choose to study remotely will not be the subject or will rather will not be subject to the vaccine requirements. The university plans a series of discussions with students, faculty leaders and unions about the vaccine requirements through the summer and will continue to follow that story. Meanwhile, a federal judge today invalidated a national eviction moratorium after finding the COVID-19 pandemic policy exceeded the authority of the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. U.S. District Court for the District of Columbia Judge Davi Frederick threw out the measure, which was enacted by Congress in March of 2020 as part of the CARES Act and later extended by President Biden until the 30th of June 2021. Lawmakers cited the Public Health Services Act of 1944 which grants the federal government the authority to impose quarantines and other measures to handle health emergencies as justification for the provision. The question for the court is a narrow one. Does the Public Health Service Act grant the CDC the legal authority to impose a nationwide eviction moratorium? The judge wrote in a 20-page decision, it does not. The measure that initially passed Congress last spring was a 120-day moratorium on evictions from rental properties participating in federal assistance programs or underwritten by federal loans. President Trump extended the moratorium in an executive order in August, saying that evictions threatened to spread the virus by forcing families to stay in shelters or to double up in overcrowded housing situations. The Alabama Association of Realtors and a group of real estate agents in Georgia They filed a lawsuit in November and they claimed that the moratorium and similar policies passed by states move the burden for rent payments from the tenant to the landlords and that landlords across the nation stand to lose billions collectively if the ban is extended into 2021. Well, President Trump is circumventing Twitter 
And Facebook bans launching his own communications platform. Former President Trump on Tuesday launched a communications platform that he said will serve as a place to speak freely and safely and will eventually give him the ability to communicate directly with his followers after months of being banned from sites like Twitter and Facebook. The platform from the desk of Donald J. Trump appears on www.donaldtrump.com slash desk. The space allows Trump to post comments, images, and videos. In a time of silence and lies, a video Trump posted to the platform Tuesday night uh, says following by uh, followed rather by news reports describing his suspension from Twitter, a beacon of freedom arises, a place to speak freely and safely straight from the desk of Donald J. Trump. Well, the technology appears to be powered by Campaign Nucleus, a digital ecosystem made for efficiently managing political campaigns and organizations created by his former campaign manager, Brad Pascal. Well, the space allows Trump to post and allows followers to share the uh, former president's post on Twitter and Facebook. However, the new platform doesn't have a feature to allow users to reply or engage Trump posts. This is just a one-way communication. One source familiar with the space told uh, uh, the media this system allows Trump to communicate with his followers. In other developments, Jonathan Turley points out that Facebook's Orwellian censorship push is part of their insidious campaign to destroy free speech. Twitter whistleblower leaks a video of Dorsey telling staff actions will be much bigger than the Trump ban. So for those of us outside, the insiders, keep your eyes and ears open. Meanwhile, New York Times editor says the paper wasn't rigorous enough in checking disproven Giuliani sources. The New York Times is one of several prominent news outlets that corrected their bombshell reporting on former Trump lawyer Rudy Giuliani, supposedly being briefed by the FBI that he was a target of a Kremlin disinformation campaign and faced calls to burn their anonymous sources. New York federal agents raided Giuliani's New York City apartment last week, seizing numerous electronic devices in fulfillment of a search warrant. The raid, the raid came as the feds were being invest or have been rather investigating whether he violated the law by lobbying the Trump administration on behalf of the Ukrainian officials in 2019. The 76 year old attorney ripped the FBI following the raid, saying the feds are relentlessly pursuing him while having no interest in investigating the hard drives of current first son Hunter Biden amid his own foreign dealings. Biden, 51, left a laptop at a Wilmington, Delaware repair shop that reportedly chronicled with in it, condemning photographs as well as information relating to his foreign business transaction. Well, following the Giuliani raid, the Times, Washington Post and NBC News reported, then later retracted that the former Big Apple mayor was told by counterintelligence officials that he was being targeted as part of a Russian-led disinformation campaign. Dean Baquet, the Times executive editor, told the Washington Post uh, that his outlet wasn't rigorous enough. I think we all tend to uh, drop our guard when we get beat and are trying to catch up. We need to grill sources more to make sure we understand exactly what they're confirming. Uh, we've all discussed it, corrected it, and we need to do better. Uh, dealing with anonymous sources in law enforcement and intelligence is always hard. And, of course, if you are bent against the object of said investigation, it makes it all the easier to accept on face value what critics say uh, if it um, supports your bias. Hey, you're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We need to take a quick break, but we'll be right back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Welcome back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. 
Well, Rudy Giuliani says the FBI investigation is being driven to target Donald Trump. MSNBC's Nicole Wallace is being slammed for per, uh, perpetuating the lie about the Rudy Giuliani FBI briefing. And Giuliani himself slammed the raid on his apartment as out of control, saying feds were trying to frame him. Um, Rudy Giuliani's um, spoke to Tucker Carlson after the FBI raid, claiming the agents showed no interest in Hunter Biden's hard drives and that it was not even handed. Meanwhile, LeBron James uh, is regretting his f- that he fueled wrong conversation about Micaiah Bryant. The NBA star uh, LeBron James expressed regret this week about the Twitter message last month regarding Micaiah Bryant, the Ohio tweet teen who was shot dead by a police officer while appearing ready to use a knife against another woman. I fueled the wrong conversation about her, James wrote on Twitter on Monday, and I owe it to her and this movement to change it. Thank you to at his hashtag for educating us about Micaiah and her story and why this needs to be about her. James seemed to be saying he regretted sparking a conversation about the Columbus police officer who shot Bryant rather than focusing on how Bryant came to be in such a situation. The Los Angeles Lakers star message accompanied a retweet of a May 1st Vox article by writer Fabiola Seneas titled Why They're Not uh, Saying Micaiah Bryant's Name. In other developments, the LAPD union is calling for the NBA to investigate hypocrite LeBron James' anti-police tweet. And the LAPD officer who wrote the letter to LeBron James said, I'm tired of anti-police vitriol. Well, the Army's new uh, night vision goggles are being compared to something stolen from aliens. Apparently, they're that good. And Krispy Kreme, they've submitted a plan for an IPO. Hertz says it's uh, picked new front runners to back their exit from bankruptcy, and Boeing faces a new hurdle in the 737 MAX electrical grounding issue, according to sources. Major League Baseball is feeling pressure to move the All-Star game back to Atlanta, and dozens of major corporations are speaking out against a new Texas voting bill. The Wall Street Journal writes that a teachers union coerced the Centers for Disease Control into changing guidelines to fit the union's needs rather than that of students. In early February, new CDC director Rochelle Walensky told reporters in a press conference that schools can safely reopen and that safe reopening does not suggest that teachers need to be vaccinated. Oops, she forgot to consult the uh, expert opinions of Ms. Weingarten, a major supporter of President Biden. After unions howled, White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki said Dr. Walensky was speaking in her personal capacity, not providing official guidance from the CDC. A couple of weeks later, the CDC rolled out official school reopening guidelines that recommended teachers be given high priority for vaccines and curiously echoing other union demands, sometimes verbatim. Now we know why. Emails obtained by the New York Post showed that the American Federation of Teachers Union reviewed a CDC draft and made recommendations that union officials said would strengthen the document. The CDC adopted two of the union suggestions nearly verbatim. The White House is trying to blame Donald Trump for the border crisis. Pre- uh, Press Secretary Jen Psaki said the crisis is something that began during and was something that was exacerbated by the Trump administration. <clears throat> Squaring that with the facts is going to be something of a challenge. But that doesn't come close to the reality told by the actual numbers. More the uh, more than uh, from Psaki, she says, after four years of an immigration system rooted in destructive and chaotic policies, President Biden is taking the challenge head on and is building a fair, orderly and human immigration system. That's our objective. Go to the Customs and Border Protection. And they would agree that doesn't come close to the reality 
told by the actual numbers. In case the blame uh, Trump doesn't fly, Kamala Harris tried pinning it on climate change. Well, the Alliance Defending Freedom says the Equality Act would strip Americans of fairness and freedom because the Equality Act would allow men who identify as female to compete in women's sports. This would create an unfair playing field for women and girls in sports and education. The bill would also violate women's privacy by forcing them to share private spaces with men. In Alaska, for example, the city of Anchorage tried to use the SOGI law to force women's shelters to allow men to sleep in their overnight shelter next to many women who have experienced rape trafficking and abuse. The Equality Act would also place religious freedom and free speech on the line in several ways. These include forcing faith-based adoption and foster care agencies to violate their beliefs and forcing people who willingly serve every customer to create or promote messages that violate their deeply held convictions. We saw this when local and state governments came after Jack Phillips, Baron L. Stutzman, whom I met, by the way, this weekend, and blame uh, Blaine Adamson. Adamson. Again, you can go to Alliance Defending Freedom for more details. Well, Derek Chauvin's lawyer has filed a motion seeking a new trial. Ex-Minneapolis police officer Chauvin has filed a motion seeking a new trial in the death of George Floyd, arguing that his constitutional rights to a fair trial was violated multiple times throughout the proceedings. Defense attorney Eric Nelson took issue with the judge's refusal to grant a change of venue and the decision to not sequester jurors during the trial, among other things, in a 10-point post-verdict filing. The cumulative effect of the multiple errors in this proceedings deprived Mr. Chauvin of a fair trial in violation of his constitutional rights, the filing reads. And of course, there's the revelation that a juror lied about his involvement in the BLM George Floyd protest in Washington, D.C. A Louisville restaurant patron pulled out a gun as uh, BLM protesters harassed diners. Many of the protesters also entered with weapons. It's only a matter of uh, time until this turns into a gunfight in a restaurant. So now you know how to pray. The GOP House could oust Liz Cheney from leadership next week. Uh, The increasingly embattled Cheney survived a move to oust her earlier this year after she voted to impeach President Donald Trump. But a new round of anti-Trump comments, as well as her uh, foreign and domestic policy positions, have put her further at odds with the GOP conference, Republicans told the Washington Examiner. The Wall Street Journal editorial board has taken the side of Cheney. You can read that article there. But Cheney's latest tweets was shockingly harsh. From Byron York, what is House Republican Conference Chair Liz Cheney thinking? Is she trying to deliver tough love to the GOP's most ardent supporters of former President Donald Trump? Is she trying to administer bad-tasting but needed medicine to her party? Is she trying to curry favor with media opinion makers? Is she trying to position herself for some big political move in the next year or so? None of that is really clear at this moment, but a challenge has risen and we'll see what happens. Well, the AP is reporting that the Taliban is coming for Afghan women's rights as Biden pulls out all troops there. And Jake Tapper floats the idea of banning some Republicans from his show, complaining, how am I supposed to believe anything they say as if only certain Republicans lie, but certainly no Democrats. Vice President Kamala Harris is suggesting fighting climate change, and that's going to fix the border crisis. Biden's Labor Department has rescinded the the Trump-era rule affecting gig workers. And Texas Democrats are refusing to the resignation of an official who calls Scott an Oreo. That's Senator Tim Scott. Fact-checkers apparently deliberately missed stealth edits to Stacey Abrams' op-ed exposing her role in uh, some nefarious actions there. 
Around the nation, Montana will end pandemic unemployment benefits amid a worker shortage. And the Kansas legislature is overriding the governor's veto, lowering the age for concealed carry to 18. And April sets a gun sales record of 1.7 million background checks. A new study reveals that stay-at-home workers or orders backfired, and U.S. birth rate has fallen to the lowest point in more than a century. Seattle peace, police officers are refusing to, uh, rather refused service at a local chocolate shop, and Coca-Cola is pausing its diversity, read, racist plan after their chief lawyer resigned. Well, on this day in history, 1494, during his second voyage to the Western Hemisphere, Christopher Columbus lands in Jamaica. 1961, astronaut Alan B. Shepard becomes America's first space traveler as he makes a 15-minute suborbital flight aboard Mercury capsule Freedom 7. 1891, New York's Carnegie Hall, also known as Music Hall, has its official opening uh, featuring Russian composer Peter Ilyich. Tchaikovsky as a guest conductor. 1925, school teacher John T. Scopes is charged in Tennessee with violating a state law that prohibits teaching the theory of evolution. Scopes would be found guilty, but his conviction uh, was set aside. And 2014, a narrowly divided Supreme Court upholds Christian prayers at the start of local council meetings. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Up next, Andrew Palau on the National Day of Prayer. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show. As many of you know, the first Thursday in May is the National Day of Prayer. And this year marks the 70th year since Reverend Billy Graham stood on the Capitol steps in February of 1952. And he called for Congress and the president to establish a day of prayer. Well, by April of that same year, President Truman, he signed the legislation into public law. And through the decades, the National Day of Prayer Task Force had mobilized Americans to observe the National Day of Prayer in all 50 states and in U.S. territories to praise God and to intercede for our nation. There are local events all across the Fruited Plain, and there's also a national expression uh, in the national broadcast. We're going to talk about that in just a few moments with Andrew Palau, who this year is one of the co-hosts of that event. And for more than 24 years, Andrew has played a key role in the ministry of the Luis Palau Association. He's been instrumental in building the model for citywide outreach as an evangelist, director, key team player. He's guided campaigns, led church relations efforts. He's trained thousands of believers in friendship evangelism and proclaimed the good news of Jesus Christ in person to hundreds of thousands of individuals around the world through evangelistic campaigns. We know him as Andrew Palau, our neighbor, and I'm just delighted to have him with us today to talk about this national call to prayer. Andrew, thank you so much for taking the time to join us. Oh, man, it's a privilege, and we're in it together. Thanks, Georgine. Yeah, absolutely. You know, prayer is a thing that we all acknowledge is necessary for us to have a mm-hmm. vibrant uh, walk with the Lord, uh, to help mm-hmm. us in being guided by Him, and also to uh, to influence uh, national and local events. Mm-hmm. And yet, many mm-hmm. of us would admit our prayer life is stale. We're not fully convinced uh, mm-hmm. that prayer is making a difference. Can you begin by just talking about the importance of prayer, first of all, because we're yeah. called to do it, and then secondly... Right the joy of being engaged in that uh, great invitation. Yeah, isn't it true, Georgine? We all feel that. We, we recognize the importance. We see the example of Jesus, and then we live our lives, and we feel, oh my goodness, am I anywhere near understanding the impact and the power and the, the, the fruits of prayer, and, uh, and when will I ever get my act together? And, 
and do what is on my heart to do related mm-hmm. to it. But I mean, ha, basically, you just see that that prayer is that foundational key to a relationship with the living God. You would cry out to him initially and say, help me, forgive me. And that prayer of of uh, repentance is what starts our relationship. And But it's then meant to carry on, of course, just in the day-to-day. Pray without ceasing, he says. So yes. um, we're all working towards that. And, and uh, Matthew 16, 18, and, and on from there really talks a lot about, uh, you know, um, that we come in agreement with heaven and the keys to the kingdom of heaven. We bind and loose on heaven and on earth through, uh, through prayer. And, and, and it's just uh, remarkable that we don't, I, I'm just talking to myself a little bit, Georgine, but I'm sure a lot of us can relate to, uh, do we really take it seriously enough? So I was very thrilled to be challenged about it be invited to uh, be the co-chair with uh, the president, uh, Kathy Branzell, on the program tonight, uh, tomorrow night on Thursday. And uh, it's really caused me to, I didn't feel worthy to take the position, but I thought, well, we all probably feel a little bit like that. Mm-hmm. And I'm using it to challenge myself to say, you know, get more focused, be more dedicated. Uh, and um, the word of God directs us in it uh, from start to finish. Now, the National Day of Prayer calls us to focus our attention on what's happening mm-hmm. in the nation. Some of us yeah. are already praying. Some of us are mm-hmm. so frustrated that we can't imagine anything can happen uh, to change the course of the nation. Mm-hmm. But we are mm-hmm. called in Scripture to pray for those who are in authority. How do we pray yeah. effectively and fervently for mm-hmm. those who are in positions of authority, particularly if we uh, if we struggle with those in leadership? How do we pray effectively wow. and honor God in that process? Yeah, yeah. Well, I suppose it just starts by, you know, you uh, we're, we're approved because of the cross of Christ to enter in before the Lord in his throne room even, which is such a humbling thought and consideration. Yes. So I think to humble yourself before the living God and come before him, that changes a lot of your attitudes that might cause you to want to be um, even appropriately, you know, uh, uh, challenged by another person in authority. You wonder, how do I pray for this person? Well, just come before the living God and I think you'll find a way, you know, you, when all is there in the light of uh, the, the almighty God and the work of Christ, you know, it kind of humbles you and puts you in a right position to say, look, I, I have these disagreements. I, I'm not sure, or I feel sure that I'm in a disagreement, but still Lord, you know, you came to seek and to save that which was lost. And if you even feel like that's their, someone's position, pray for that for them, you know, Lord, be merciful as you were merciful to me. Uh, re- open blinded eyes, reveal yourself and bless and just pray blessing. He says, bless and do not curse the word of God says, right? So you can pray, Lord, surround these people with faithful witnesses. Uh, bring your people to bear, um, you know, uh, open blinded eyes and uh, br- br- protect their family and reveal yourself. There's so many ways in which we can yes. pray for our leaders. It's, uh, it, it, it's, it, it should be easy when you think of it in those terms. You know, I think, too, the posture of prayer, and I'm not just talking about the physical mm-hmm. posture mm-hmm. of prayer, reminds us that of our own unworthiness, that before wow. God, 
you know, we are all Mm -hmm. on a level playing field because none of us is worthy. And I find that when I invest in praying for those uh, with whom I may have a disagreement or uh, Mm -hmm. whose decisions I'm, you know, I'm concerned about, that God humbles me and reminds me of my Mm -hmm. own unworthiness and that that we need to pray for one another as desperately in need of a Savior to guide us and lead us. And be reminded that Scripture says God can change the heart of a king like he could change the the course of the river. So it's healthy for us, I think, to be put in our rightful place before God um, yeah. as we're praying for uh, those around mm-hmm. us. Now, can you tell us a bit about the that national kid. the national broadcast that's coming up tomorrow evening, 6 o'clock p.m. Pacific time? That's going to be live streamed. Yes, and you can find it at the National Day of Prayer. Just Google it. You'll find it. Search around. I'm kind of a nerd, and I can't figure this stuff <laughs> out, but I eventually find it. It's not that hard, and uh, you can get help from a young person if you're not quite there, or go to palau.org. I'm sure we'll have a link. But yes, you can tune in, and it's going to be a great time of uh, prayer, primarily worship. I'll share the gospel. They asked me to share the gospel and uh, give people an opportunity to respond. So pray for me in that. And people, hundreds of thousands tune in around the world, actually, even though the focus really is uh, for uh, the, the, our nation, is a heavy emphasis. Uh, and there are people in the nation, so we bring the gospel. But uh, you'll, you know, hear uh, and join in with prayers, Angram Lotz, uh, worship by Shane and Shane, uh, Greg Laurie, Sam Brownback will be sharing. And there's going to be a lot of uh, different corporate prayer moments um, where we'll sort of uh, quietly, you can in, tune in and, and feel a part of it. Uh, we want to engage people. It's not just a show or a something to watch uh, mm-hmm. and listen, but also to really participate in. And Jack Graham from Prestonwood, it's a very broad group uh, led by Kathy Branzell, who's done a great job in her newish role as president. And really, she's wanting uh, the board to uh, really stay strong in the roots of the founding of the National Day of Prayer and, and really make it gospel-focused, centered on the Word of God, and, and really just emphasizing prayer. So if you whether you feel that in your heart or not, I urge you to do it because uh, uh, the Lord has challenged and commanded us to do it, so we might as well do it. Plus, it's for our own good. Yeah, absolutely. And again, the National Day of Prayer is not a spectator event. It culminates in this national broadcast, but it really focuses on local events where believers from Mm -hmm. all across your community, your neighborhood, the state of Oregon, all across the country are coming together as we can under this pandemic to literally focus our attention and prayer on the needs of our nation. And certainly there's no lack in terms of things to, to pray about, and God will guide us through that process. Mm-hmm. You can also find local events at, uh, at the Palau um, Association. We'll have a link, but the nationaldayofprayer.org. You can mm-hmm. find information about local events. We're going to be talking about that uh, today and, and tomorrow uh, as well. So uh, stay tuned for more information about that. Awesome. But what a tremendous opportunity that we are endorsed by our nation's leaders to come together to pray for the nation. It's an acknowledgement that, you know, we don't have all the answers. We need help. And <laughs> we cry out to God. Yeah was so gracious yeah. to 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 hear us and to respond. Um, any yeah. final thoughts, Andrew? Well, I would just share with you, just to maybe uh, prime the pump, that the uh, verse of this year is focusing in on 2 Corinthians 3.17, for the Lord is spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. So the theme is a prayer that we'll lift up together, Lord, pour out your love, life, and liberty um, and uh, and so that might get you uh, fired up as you uh, engage with that focus on the nation 
celebrating and joining together in unity around this uh, National Day of Prayer. Absolutely. You know, most of us, maybe you, Andrew, but most of us will never be invited to the White Mm. House to sit down and meet with the president. But we have been invited by God himself to enter into his uh, his throne room and to lift mm-hmm. up our, our uh, petitions to him. And he promises to hear us and to respond. So mm-hmm. don't mm-hmm. miss this opportunity um, to come before God and lift up our nation. And I believe his heart is toward um, moving in the hearts of those uh, who cry out to him. So I'm so yeah. grateful for the role that you're playing and the opportunity that each of us has uh, on yeah. this National Day of Prayer. Thank you so much, Andrew. I yeah. really, really appreciate it. You're welcome, and uh, you're in our prayers, Georgine. We sure love and appreciate you guys, and um, we'll we'll be home soon. I haven't been traveling much, so it feels weird, but I'll be back. <laughs> well, looking forward to Can't having wait. you home. <laughs> okay. Yeah, thanks, Georgine. Love you guys. You too. Bye-bye. Again, Andrew Palau uh, talking about the 2021 National Day of Prayer, the 70th annual event. And again, you can watch the national broadcast at 6 p.m. Pacific time. You can find out more at nationaldayofprayer.org. And as Andrew said, there's probably a link at the uh, Palau Association's webpage as well. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We'll be back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. We're back. You're listening to the final segment of the Georgine Rice Show. Thomas Gallatin points out that the president and his uh, administration are trying to silence rolling thunder. I'll tell you what that is in a moment. And ban prayer. Now, that may be something of an overstatement, but... <clears throat> He writes that it's deeply troubling. That was the Reverend Patrick Mahoney's response when he was denied a permit to hold a prayer service at the U.S. Capitol on the National Day of Prayer tomorrow. For 70 years, there has been a public witness on the National Day of Prayer at the U.S. Capitol building until today. Our request to have a prayer service was denied. Uh, read a statement by Mahoney. He further observed the People's House, as the U.S. Capitol building is so rightly called, must be a place where all Americans are afforded the right to come and peaceably celebrate and express their First Amendment rights. Tragically, those rights and freedoms are being denied and prohibited, end quote. Remind us which political party runs D.C. and the controls and controls rather the People's House, he asks. Well, Mahoney has now filed a lawsuit contending that free speech is in danger all across America. He argues there's a mis- conception out there that many people think the Capitol is closed and it's not. That's true. Members of Congress continue to meet while grounds crews and other workers fulfill their duties. Of course, the Capitol building is still under virtual lockdown and for five months, D.C. has been occupied by the National Guard troops. Nevertheless, there is no legitimate justification for denying Mahoney's request, and yet he isn't the only one being denied access to our nation's capital. Joe Biden's Defense Department denied a parking permit to the group American Veterans, or AMVETS, to access the Pentagon's parking area, which for 32 years has served as a rallying point for the Memorial Day motorcycle riding tradition formerly dubbed Rolling Thunder, now known as Rolling to Remember. The Department of Defense reason was, of course, the all-purpose excuse, coronavirus. Well, a statement from the Pentagon reads in part, substantial community transmission of COVID-19 in Arlington County, Virginia, number of Americans fully vaccinated across the nation, nature of this event with its uh, decreased ability to maintain physical distance, and large crowds in one location for an extended period of time. This event draws national attention and participation. Therefore, the risk of exposure from participants from other communities extends well beyond the national capital region. That wasn't an anti-vax ad, though 
you could be uh, forgiven for thinking it was. Well, AMVETS had contacted the Pentagon about a parking permit nearly a year ago and received approval in March, only to have that permit subsequently revoked. Meanwhile, local news outlets, uh, ABC7 News reports the Pentagon's denial comes on the heels of the Smithsonian announcing last week that it will reopen eight of its facilities to the public in May starting with the National Air and Space Museum's Stephen Udvar Hazy Center in Chantilly on Wednesday, May the 5th. Great timing by the Pentagon. Well, AMVETS National Executive Director Joe Cinelli, he noted the general response from veterans, it's very disappointing for our members. Well, there's been shock and deep disappointment expressed to us. Nevertheless, veterans still plan on writing. We're seeing it on uh, websites and on social media all over the place, he said. Much smaller groups, we're... Uh, planning their own smaller rallying points, and they're coming in indeed. Meanwhile, quoting the Bible can't land you in American prison, well, yet, but in Helsinki, it's a different story. In a case that stunned the West, Finland's former interior minister and leader of the Christian Democrats has been criminally charged for posting a picture of the Bible opening to Romans, or rather open to Romans 1, 24 through 27. She was... uh, Disturbed by the Evangelical Lutheran Church joining a gay pride event and decided to remind it what God says about homosexuality. Now, after a two-year investigation, the tweet could put her behind bars. Well, the saga, which has involved three police interrogations since 2019, rose to a fever pitch last month when the former MP was officially charged with hate speech. Finland's, and this is uh, an image of the scripture from an actual Bible. Finland's prosecutor, according to reports, called the action derogatory and discriminatory. Palvi Ranen, I'm sure I've mispronounced the uh, word since I don't speak the language, so I apologize, fired back, insisting, I do not see... Uh, I would have uh, in any way defamed homosexuals whose human dignity and human rights I have constantly said to uh, respect and defend. As a former government minister, she says she's shocked the situation has elevated the way it has. I will go to the court with a peaceful and brave mind, trusting that Finland is a constitutional state where the freedoms of speech and religion, both of which are guaranteed in international agreements and in our constitution, are respected. A conviction based on the Christian faith is more than a a, a surficial opinion. The early Christians did not renounce their faith in lion's caves. Why should I then renounce my faith in a courtroom? End quote. Well, as for um, uh, anything she said about the Bible's teaching, she insists, I will not step back from my conviction nor from my writings. I do not apologize for the writings of the Apostle Paul. I am ready to defend freedom of speech and religion as far as is necessary. In her blunt response, she also pointed out the Apostle Paul teach, uh, teaching is not only about defending marriage between man and woman, but about how a human being is saved into eternal life. If the teachings of God's word about sin are rejected, also the whole core of the Christian faith is made empty. The precious sacrifice of Jesus on the cross for the sake of everyone's sins and the way he opened into eternity, end quote. Well, 4,000 miles away in Washington, D.C., this kind of persecution may sound far-fetched, but Representative Greg Stube uh, knows from personal experience how much closer America is uh, to inching uh, to this climate of open hostility. 
uh, when he stood on the House floor in late February and read from Deuteronomy about the differences between males and females, he was blasted by Democratic colleagues. What any religious tradition describes as God's will is no concern of this Congress, which I would say is the heart of the problem in Congress. That's a quote from Representative Gerald Nadler firing back. To some people, it was a shock to hear a Democrat say those words out loud, but to others, it only confirmed what we've known all along. God has been of no concern uh, in Washington and too many for years. And if Americans don't continue to push back and demand respect for our first freedoms, it won't be long until the climate of hostility in Helsinki comes here. And that certainly is not an overstatement. As I mentioned briefly earlier in the program, I had the opportunity to meet Baronel uh, Stutzman at a memorial service for a family member. And I um, had the opportunity to tell her that we have covered her case, that we've talked about it, uh, that listeners had been concerned and been praying for her over the many years of this unresolved case. And she was uh, really struck by the fact that people here were familiar with their case, that they uh, were praying and so on. And I wanted to remind you of that fact because, as I mentioned, this has gone on for many years. It's still unresolved. It's cost her a great deal to stand up for her religious freedom and her ability to live out the convictions of her Christian faith, uh, to remember to, to continue to pray for her, and we'll continue to follow the story. So, uh, So let's all do that together. Tomorrow on the program, we're going to talk with the Clark County Area Director of the Fellowship of Christian Athletes. Paris um, is the director, and it's also the National Day of Prayer, and we'll spend much of our time focusing on the privilege uh, we have in approaching the throne of grace that God extends to us, not only on the National Day of Prayer, but to take full advantage on this day in which we as a nation focus our prayers to what we need collectively. I want to thank James Blend. Clark Hilton, Dan Rice, and thank you for making The Georgine Rice Show part of your day. Have a great night. Thanks for listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. If you'd like to download a podcast of the show or would like more information on today's guests, please visit the show at kpdq.com or on Facebook. Follow the show on Twitter at G. Rice Show and like us on Facebook. And join us live every weekday at 4 for more critical thinking for critical times on 93.9 KPDQ.